Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back to the podcast that explores the world within and out. And thank you for subscribing to Traveling Inside Out wherever you get your podcast. And if you could rate it on Apple Podcasts or IMDb, I would be so grateful because it will help me to be found uh, by other listeners like you. Thank you. As promised, season four comes back with uh, interviews. So today's episode is a conversation I had with Tyler, American-born, Icelandic adopted. Um, he's a traveler, biker, photographer, and I had an amazing conversation with him about the move that he made to leave United States behind and embrace basically Iceland. Um, but I have to say before I let you listen to our conversation that it was something, the conversation was something that I needed without even realizing that I needed it. It's really, <laughs> it felt so nice to talk with him, but it's so inspiring that for a moment it was like, I just, I love everything he's saying. It's so real and still so informative, but at the same time grounded, but still inspiring. <laughs> or maybe I'm reading too much into it. You let me know. Anyway, enjoy. Hi, Tyler. Thank you for joining me. I'm so happy that I was planning to talk to you since the summer, but I was like, he's a little bit busy. Maybe I'm going <laughs> to let him. Um, <laughs> I will let the summer pass and then we'll see how it's going to go. So thank you so much for joining me. And for whoever doesn't know you, please introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me. And yeah, really, thanks for waiting until now to reach out because it was quite a busy summer. Um, but yeah, my name is Tyler Wacker. Um, I'm originally from Texas um, and then have done a variety of things, uh, but now I kind of label myself as a bicyclist, a runner, a photographer. Um, I'm also a student. Um, I study coastal communities and regional development at the University Center of the West Fjords in Isafjörder. Um, and kind of how I got to this point in my life is uh, I kind of had like the standard upbringing in the United States where I, you know, went to high school, went to college, uh, got a degree in civil engineering, and then I worked in civil engineering for seven years until I um, kind of decided that I wanted to do something else and engineering. I wasn't really ready to take the next step in engineering, and so I quit my job. Uh, at the beginning of 2020 to bike across America. Um, and so uh, that was a big leap um, to uh, kind of just uh, take my life on a different track and see kind of see what happens. Because um, a lot of my, with that kind of upbringing, I've tried to plan a lot of things in my life. And I it's been um, quite fun to flip the switch a little bit to... Uh, not have things planned out and see where things happen. Um, that's kind of how I try to live my life now, just uh, seeing where it goes. 
Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. We have a lot to unpack already. <laughs> okay. So first and foremost, you said that you are from originally from Texas. So that means that now you live in Iceland in Isafjordur. So for whoever doesn't know, that's in the Northwest part of the country, which in my opinion, West Fjords is the most beautiful part of Iceland. But I've only been there once some quite a few years ago. I'm guessing it's your favorite as well. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. I love uh, the West Fjords. I think it's uh, very interesting from like a geographical perspective because I think it's only um, the West Fjords is connected to the rest of the country by a small kind of uh, isthmus, if you will. Um, and I think that's only like four kilometers wide. Um, and then it just bal balloons into this kind of clover shaped landmass, um, kind of just jutting out from Iceland. Um, and so I think that creates an interesting uh, place to live because you're kind of separated from the rest of the country. Um, and definitely the weather impacts that as well. Um, so when uh, in the winter, when there's a lot of snow and a lot of wind, like flights are canceled, you can't drive out of your city, things like that. So Avalanches. I think living in this environment, I'm sorry? Avalanches, right? Oh, avalanches, yes. Um, those affect travel as well. So yeah, you're kind of uh, not so much in your own world because uh, people do live here, but uh, you definitely feel, feel a bit more separated from the rest of the country here. Thank you for saying four kilometers. Americans, they usually don't do that. <laughs> so, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask you, how is it though? So you said that you quit your job at the beginning of 2020. Mm -hmm. And you, everybody knows the beginning of the 2020. It was how the beginning? It was like January? Yeah, I started in January. Okay, so yeah, January 2020, we were still Living thinking life. that the year is ours. <laughs> we're going to do so many things. Yeah, so I thought how, the same thing. <laughs> how did you end up in Iceland, though? And also, how is the difference? I don't know that much about Texas, but I do know that it's not the same climate like in Iceland. Right. So how did you do the, that step from quitting your job and then ending up in Iceland? Yeah, um, how did I end up here? I, I basically, I've, I kind of found this program a few years ago, um, the master's program that I'm in now. And I kind of stalked it for a few years before I had the, the courage to apply. Mm -hmm. um, and really it was kind of like, I knew that it would be tough to just move straight to Iceland from uh, my working career. And I lived in San Francisco um, before mm -hmm. I moved here or when I started biking across America. Mm -hmm. And so I, I knew that that would be quite a shock to move from San Francisco directly to Isafjörder. And kind of, uh, I used the bike tour to kind of decompress um, and really process a lot of things that happened in my life um, through my working career. And because uh, I was working for a consulting firm, working like up to 60 hours a week and uh, on some weeks. And yeah, it really takes a lot out of you. And um, yeah, I used the time riding my bike to kind of uh, really just get back to uh, the core of myself, um, and really trying to find what I needed in life. Um, and 
when you're when you're living your life on a bike with just a just a tent and you're only worried about getting food and water and shelter for the day and, and uh, it kind of simplifies things quite a bit um, so yeah I ended up um, biking across America and I had applied to the program uh, in the process of that and so when I found out that I was accepted um, I was still riding and so I kind of changed my route um, so originally I was going to to ride around basically at the perimeter of America. Um, mm -hmm. So I was gonna go from San Francisco to San Diego, all mm -hmm. the way across to Florida, mm -hmm. up to Maine mm -hmm. on the East Coast, and then all the way back across the Northern United States to the West Coast, okay. and then ultimately back to San Francisco. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, of course, everyone knows. Um, so when I, I made it across Texas, um, and that's okay, when- Okay, so you got to Texas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I biked into Louisiana. And then when I turned my phone on, after I was done riding, they had issued a mandatory shelter in place. And so that's when things kind of, uh, you know, changed. Because um, I was gonna think, I was thinking about pushing through the pandemic um, but really, there was a lot of dense cities. Um, and like Florida was a very hot spot for COVID. Um, yes, I remember. It, it, it still is. So I didn't really want to go to Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that point, my parents were uh, starting to freak out a little bit um, about what I was doing. And so being from Texas, my parents actually uh, had me at their house. Um, yeah. So I, I, stayed, I stayed with them for 10 weeks of sheltering in place. And then from there, that's when I found out I got accepted. Um, and so then I was able to, it actually worked out kind of like being able to shelter in place and then plan this next step in my life to move to Iceland um, and like do all the visa and the residence permit application and things like that. And so from there, I basically found um, kind of these links of where I needed to be in the country and when, mm -hmm. and really the only two things that I needed to do were see some friends in Minneapolis. Yeah. And then I found the cheapest flight to Iceland, uh, and the most probable to actually fly during the pandemic uh, yeah. was, Good point. Was, was Boston. Yeah. Um, it was the only one. It was the only one from the whole North America that was flying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I made that, I ended up modifying. So I went from Texas to Minnesota and mm -hmm. from Minnesota to Boston. And then, mm -hmm. I, I, then I flew to Iceland to um, uh, start my life here. Did you, did you take your bike with you or you, you, you decided that you're gonna buy a bike here? Um, so I, I brought my bike, but when I finished in Boston, I actually changed bikes. And so I, I shipped my bike that I've been riding for the past, you know, couple months across mm -hmm. America. I shipped it back to my parents in Texas, and then I picked up a new bike um, or a, a new to me bike in Boston, and brought that one on the plane. Yeah. And then I actually, I then I biked from Keflavik to Isafjörður, um, basically with all of my belongings. Um, so, That's, so yeah, uh, yeah. I, I so basically that was your. Moved. <laughs> By the way, was that yeah. your first time in Iceland? No, I came in oh, okay. 2017 for the first time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But my, it was Got my it. first time to the West Fjords, first time to Isafjörður. Um, 
yeah was by bike it's not so my trip to west fjords was i was actually hitchhiking um, uh, for like four days i did a bit of like the northern part of the west fjords basically hitchhiking and it was not easy and i kept seeing people um on bikes and i'm like i'm scared in a car on those freaking things i'm like i can't so i was always like applauding whenever i see <laughs> anyone on a bike in west fjords i'm like oh my god so this is why i was so impressed when i saw you but we're gonna get to that a bit later um so but, but how long was your trip for? So your plan before knowing the pandemic is going to get really bad and all that, how long did you plan to do the whole going through the south of the United States and then go coming back on the north? For how long were you planning to, that, to do that for? It was going to be about eight months. So it was planned to be from yeah. January to okay. August. Um, I was planning to basically be back in San Francisco um, but at the same time, I wasn't um, really tied on going back to San Francisco. So if I had found a place that I liked or found an opportunity that I wanted to pursue, um, oh, I would have okay. stopped and basically just tried to or like live there for a little bit. Too. Yeah, be because I was thinking like in, in the northern part of United States, the winter is winter. Like, yeah. you know, so I was like, oh, I don't <laughs> like. Yeah, so it's actually... Go? I, I actually planned it with the weather. And so I started yeah. in January in the winter and I went from in San Francisco south. to San Diego, yeah. went to the, to the Southern United States. And yeah. then by the time I would have made it to the North, it would have been summer. Um, and so, yeah, that was all planned into it. And I think it's actually a, a pretty cool trip um, when you think about the, the weather windows around the country and how uh, going around the perimeter of the United States could actually work. Um, I think it's a really, really cool design with the weather windows. Yeah, it's such a different, that's why when people are telling me, I have a lot of friends that don't like United States for probably obvious reasons, but mm. when they are telling me like they don't want to visit and I'm like, that country has so many different things that you can see in like just one country. It's insane. You you get to see everything and then some. Like it's insane. I'm like, you can't just say you don't want to go to the whole country. Maybe you don't want to mm -hmm. go in a specific area or you know, no, but you can't put the whole thing like no freaking way. Right. Um, but so since clearly you had like you studied, you said civil engineering, you were working in San Francisco. And then mm -hmm. you decided to quit your job. So yeah. talk to me about what does comfort zone mean to you? Yeah, I mean, the way I think about comfort zones is um, I feel like we all have, you know, this, this kind of line here, which is like our, mm -hmm. our comfort level. We can push beyond that line or, or not if we choose to. But then once we start to push past that line, our, you know, our line and our capacity to live outside our comfort zone kind of just increases. And so I've, I felt like I've increased my uh, comfort zone threshold, if you will, mm -hmm. um, over the past uh, couple of years through a bunch of different um, activities and things that I've been intentional about and things that I want to kind of learn more about myself and change who I am um, inherently or internally a bit. Um, 
And so like up through uh, running and biking and um, I learned a lot through sailing as well in San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, through a bunch of these activities uh, that really, I think for me, are, it's just where I feel my best is being outside and being active and uh, really just knowing that about myself and finding activities that I knew would kind of uh, make me grow as a person. Yes, and, perfect. Perfect that you mentioned grow as a person because I just wanted to ask you, what, why do you think it's important to get out of the comfort zone? Yeah, I just think that, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really important to challenge um, who we are Um, and also like, uh, what we do. Cause I think, I think that if we, if we don't do these things, we can get stuck in our ways. And I found that, um, whenever I get stuck in my ways per se, that I just kind of, I, I get kind of negative and I get kind of locked up and I, I keep a lot of things inside. And so, uh, for me, like doing these activities, um or just rather like endurance sports really it makes me think about who I am and how I live my life and I think I I I challenge myself mentally as well as physically uh through through endurance sports I think it's it's um an interesting or it's a bit of a difference when you challenge yourself physically and mentally and at least in my case I am so much braver when I have to challenge myself physically uh, from hiking by myself or like, you know, hiking for four days or I've done a South American trip backpacking by myself Mm -hmm. and I've also camped. So I had to carry the whole thing and I was hitchhiking for a while. So like, it's kind of, I feel like I'm braver when it comes to challenge myself physically, but when it comes to mentally, that's another time and it's I'm not like it's so much more difficult because physically I'm like okay I'm gonna do it I can do it I'm strong enough even though I'm like really short and I'm just a bit of a human you know but Mm -hmm. mentally I'm like ah can I can I uh so how do you feel about this difference between mentally and physically I mean mentally is so interesting because I think um, we're all raised with um, you know certain biases in our lives and I wanted to challenge a lot of those that I've been raised with um, and a lot of them are really just having trust in society um, about you know biking across America by yourself is uh, there's a lot of things that you can think about at night um, but really you yeah. kind of have to overcome them mentally like was that a stick or a snake that I just heard or um, like both with the animals that exist in the United States as well as um, you know interacting with people on uh, whether it's the streets um, or just through everyday interactions Um, and really trusting those people like listening to people who have something to say to you because they obviously stopped and talked to you for a reason and um, I interacted with a lot of people who are homeless um, on my trip, and um, they're they're really nice people when you listen to their stories and just give them a chance to speak. And um, I didn't want I knew that my my bias growing up was to be scared of people who were homeless or didn't have a home, and I wanted to challenge that a lot. And 
um, through just talking with them and trusting them and not getting over that initial fear that something bad is going to happen, like nothing bad ever happened. And so it's that first initial kind of, oh my God, I, I, I'm reacting this way unconsciously, but I know if I push through uh, the comfort zone, I guess, and realize that, uh, you know, that these are just human beings and uh, really just listening and talking and um, yeah, I've, I've, you know, nothing, I have no bad stories about biking across America or, you know, I had some, some times when I thought something bad was going to happen and it didn't. And yeah, so it's, it's challenging the trust that I have, the trust I have in society. Which is, yeah, as you were saying, it's never, never easy, but once you start doing it, and I think this is one of the main reasons that I love traveling is that it interrupts that uh, noise coming from all the news that everything is horrible in the world. And then you actually go out there and then you meet people and you're like, but people are so kind, but it's like, mm-hmm. people are so nice. They are helping me. They are like, it's insane. And I know like from my trip in South America that of course, as a solo female traveler, it was a bit challenging because sometimes I would have men that they would be like, who do you think you are to travel by yourself in South America? Mm-hmm. But most of them, they were so kind and so nice and they would feed me. They were just like, you know, just taking care of me. Yeah. And on the news, what do you see? You just see that people are out in the streets and they are burning cars and things like that. You know what I'm saying? So it's, yeah, it's such an important thing to switch from all that noise and go into the world and actually see for yourself how it is. Right. Kudos to you for challenging that perspective too. Um, you know, because I'm, yeah, people were saying, oh, I'm sure you heard that, you know, everyone's like, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And um, a lot of these they, a lot of these statements come from fear, uh, fear of the unknown. Um, and yeah, I, I basically, so when I, what we, what happens when we push outside these comfort zones, we show people that it is possible. Um, it is possible to bike across America and not get hit by a car, um, to not get robbed, um, to um, really, yeah, just to show to question people's beliefs um, by showing that it is possible to do these things um, and survive or just do it and enjoy it. Um. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I think um, what I've, I've come up to a conclusion that I think the people who are trying to kind of put you down, I don't think they are doing it necessarily on purpose, but I think they are mostly maybe doing it because you are challenging their belief and you are challenging, they are saying you can do that because it cannot be done. And then you showing them, well, it can be done. They are gonna try to make you know, you can do this because I don't wanna, I don't have the courage to do it. So don't challenge my belief. So if you're showing to someone that it is possible, they are gonna be like, "Uh, wait, what? No you're, you know, you're kind of shaking up their world a little. So right. tell me, please, let's go back to the beginning, basically. And tell mm-hmm. me, why do you travel in mm. general to begin with? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess to experience 
new places um, and have new ideas, understand different cultures. Um, I'm really motivated by, uh, I think of myself as kind of going against the grain in a lot of ways, because mm -hmm. uh, there was a large migration to the United States, um, obviously. And then uh, you don't hear of a lot of stories that people actually migrating back to Europe or where they came from. And I, I'm, I'm not Icelandic by any means, but um, I do think about kind of the migration tendencies and um, yeah, understanding a different place. I think I've had a lot of internal goals or personal goals of living abroad for a while and learning a new language and just interacting in a community that um, really challenges me to be a part of the community. Um, and I have to do a lot of personal work to be accepted into the community um, fully. And, and I think in Iceland that that's the language. Um, you really need to speak the language here to be fully accepted. Um, and you know that's that's always been on my my personal goal is to learn a new language. And um, and so that's just kind of directly aligned with what I want to do in life. Um, and that's I guess yeah why I'm in Iceland now in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's important. I and this is what I kept saying to people ever since I had my first time uh, living abroad. Before Iceland, I lived abroad um, in Denmark, in Turkey, and in Tunisia. So I always say that it's important to travel, of course, to explore as much as you can. But if you could live in another country, it's gonna switch again your perspective because it's one thing when you're in and out from a place, no matter if you're staying for a weekend or like three months, you're still mm -hmm. in and out. But when you yeah. live in another country and you go with the idea of living and it can be for, I don't know, half a year, but you're living in another country, it's switching. How is it going for you? Because I've been living here on and off since 2015 and I can barely say my name. It's, it's a challenge. Um, yeah, it's unlike any other language that I've been familiar with or been around, um, which is mainly just Spanish growing up in Texas. Um, yeah. And so Icelandic is uh, just the pronunciation and the words and the word structure is, is so different than what I'm used to. So like after a year of living here now, um, I can, I feel like I can hear the words that are being said, but I don't necessarily know what they mean. Um, and I can pick up a few things here and there. And of course, you start to learn how to read people's um, body language, as well as listen to their, their speech as well. And so that's just a, another skill that comes with living in a, in a foreign place. Um, but yeah, I, I'm taking Icelandic lessons here and there. And I'm really hoping to uh, develop more Icelandic skills over the coming year. Because, um, yeah, I, I do feel like it's it's important for, for my life here. That's, yeah, I, I agree with you. I took two level one classes and I'm still not. It's just, I think my brain does, like, I, I come from a Latin kind of a la uh, background, basically, so I can speak my native language, which is Romanian, of course, and a bit of Spanish, and now I'm learning Portuguese, and clearly mm -hmm. I can speak English. Uh, 
but just like Icelandic just doesn't like my brain is no it's and I think right now because I kind of failed it's again back to the mental <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm like already triggered, you know, I'm already mm-hmm. triggered, like I, I failed, as in I didn't fail the class, I graduated the class, but I just yeah. didn't learn the language, so that's what I'm saying, I, fa- I failed, because <laughs> the point was to, <laughs> to learn. <laughs> um, to go a little bit further, I'm curious to know um, if there are any places, you were talking a little bit about traveling, you know, through United States and so on, I am mm-hmm. curious, though, if there are any places where you wouldn't want to travel. I don't think so. I mean, there's places that I would rather go later than now. If I yeah. if I choose to travel, I think I've kind of flipped how I travel as well. And so um, being in the United States and only having, uh, you know, a certain number of vacation days, uh, mm. Americans mm. travel pretty fast and they don't have the time to really dive into a place to experience it. So that's only, you know, most people are only comfortable taking like up to two weeks of vacation at a time. And for me that, that, that wasn't enough, um, at the end of the day. So that's why I ultimately decided to quit my job is because, you know, I wanted to experience a place more than just, um, two weeks at a time. And I, I wanted to, and really I, I hadn't experienced, all of the United States and I still have it even after biking across it because <laughs> it's, it's just impossible but um, yeah I, I've kind of flipped how I change um, how, I, how I travel now and I'm even thinking about places that I want to go to now it's it's really it's it's not that many um, I feel like I, I I'm motivated by journeys and missions and so um, if a certain friend or there's a reason to travel. Um, like I guess the, the one trip that I was thinking about doing um, in the near future, there was a bicycle research conference in Copenhagen that I really wanted to attend. But um, I, I'm deciding not to go uh, because I have a few too many other things to do at the time or at the moment. Um, but yeah, really, yeah, I, I don't really have many travel plans now um and I, I guess i'm i'm privileged in a lot of ways to be able to slow down my life to take in a lot of these places and take them in at a slower play, pace but i think that's what biking is all about and why i choose to experience these places experience places by biking is really you know taking your time cuz um you know taking the west yours perspective of you could drive you know three days to the West Fjords and you can see a few things. You see Isafjord, you can see Dinyandi, and then you go to Patrick's Theater and hit like a few hot pots along the way. But like, did you actually experience a place by doing it in three days? And so that same three day trip that you take with a car, um, I took 15 days to do on my bike this past summer and really just slowing down and, um, you know, understanding the landscape a little more and being able to just like process things that are going on around you. And um, yeah, just, I, I, I think a lot when I bike and I, I think about the things that have brought me to this place and just the the environment that I interact with and how much joy it brings me just to be able to fill up my water bottle from a, a pure stream of water here in the West. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, 
<laughs> I, I don't want any. I, I don't want anything else in life. I just want to go <laughs> fill up my water bottle at wherever I choose in the West Fjords or really in Iceland as well. But um, that was a big shock when I went home back to the back to Texas in July. And I did some bike riding there and I was like, wait, I have to think about where I'm going to fill up my water bottle because I can't just uh, take any source of water on the side of the road anymore. It's not. Um, yeah. So I, <laughs> it reminded me of one of the things uh, that I've done. So I've been to United States quite a few times, but most of the time I went to New York. And mm-hmm. um, in one of the days I just decided to go I took a bus two hours upstate, and then I I got on a little bit of a hike on the Appalachian Trail, but like a few, like two hours or like, you know, like a short, short, yeah. short hike. And I got lost. I mean, me getting lost <laughs> is, is something very easy to do because I can get lost, even in Reykjavik, if I'm yeah. really, if I like, I can easily get lost. So I got lost and I was in a forest somewhere upstate. I was by myself. Nobody knew exactly where I was, and I was talking to myself, which, which is something that I usually do on my hikes, and I'm curious if you do the same on your biking. Um, on my hikes, I talk to myself, to depending on the situation, to encourage myself or to whatever it is, and then I just realized... I'm not in Iceland. People get killed in forests like this. <laughs> in US, like all of a sudden that's what came to me. Oh and I'm gosh, like, yeah. okay, calm down. Because I'm like, I'm like, you know, nobody knows where I like. I was in a dorm. Mm-hmm. I was staying in a dorm. Like I didn't tell them where I'm going. I was just, you know, out there. So of course nothing bad happened at all. But yeah, you just reminded me when you said that. Uh, you just reminded me that it's a bit of a switch. Wait, wait, wait. This is not Iceland, where right. is everything is so safe and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious then for you to know to tell me what challenges do you have when you travel? And I want to ask specifically because as I said earlier I've noticed you because of your uh, biking through West Fields and I was cheering you <laughs> on <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. but I remember that you said that it kind of broke you mentally um, yeah. and so I want to ask you what are some of the challenges that you have when you travel in general and then if you can also tell me about your experience of actually doing it in Westfields? Yeah, I think there are a lot of challenges of traveling in Iceland on a bike. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that stems directly from the weather. And so uh, I was biking the West Fjords Way, which is this new touring route um, that gets you uh, around the West Fjords to see all of the, the great spots that the region has. and. Um, I, I decided to do a clockwise loop around it, starting and ending in Isafjörður. And so I went south first, and I knew that I would probably have to fight um, a headwind for the first few days. Because in the summer, the wind is predominantly from the south. Um, and then when I kind of rounded, uh, I got into the western region near Gudalur. And when I turned there and started to go north, um, uh, a, a winter storm, like the last winter storm happened in June. Um, and so the wind flipped and it came from the north. And so 
when I thought that I would be getting a tailwind um, for like the next few days or generally for the rest of the trip, uh, I instead had a nice headwind to deal with. And I, I think that that's mentally taxing on you because um, one, the wind is very strong in Iceland and it can stop all of your progress. When you're on a bicycle or even walking, um, it's really can be just a challenge to, to walk or just move through the wind um, when it's that powerful. And yeah, I think mentally that's just, um, you're, you're out there for, you're on your bike for a longer period of time than you, than you expected to do that day. Um, and you just kind of start to question yourself of like, am I gonna make it through? Or like, is this wind, can I actually bike through this wind? Um, and so for me on that trip, it was, yeah, the, the, with the wind flipping its primary or like its direction, like, it's not even like, I guess that's the one thing about Iceland, with Icelandic weather is it is very unpredictable. So you, you shouldn't, um, you know, uh, prepare for it to do something or predict it to do something. Cause it's not going to do that. And so, yeah, it was just a long, uh, long days battling a headwind um, on the bike. And there's one day when I was going over Dinyandi Saidi, the mountain pass towards Dinyandi, it was just, um, I think like 30, 30 miles an hour um, in terms of wind, which is quite a bit. And it's just like, it, it was blowing directly on me. And at that point, you're not even like gliding on a bike. You're pretty much just moving at like walking speed and, but you still have your bike. So you just have to kind of like push, yeah. you're just pushing the weight through the wind. You're not getting the advantages of riding a bike. It's, mm -hmm. it's basically like walking on a bicycle. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that was mentally taxing. And then just in terms of like other things. So I've, I've spent a year here and so this is a two-year program that i'm mm -hmm. in here and um the first year is coursework in isafjörder and then the second year you can write a thesis or you you write a thesis and you can choose where to write that thesis and what topic you want to write about and one of the advantages of the program is how flexible it is and so a lot of people uh, or the majority of the people will come and live in Isafjörder for a year and then go write their thesis somewhere else. So they'll go home or go to a new place or something like that. And so um, when, I, when I left on my trip, everyone was still in Isafjörder. But then when I got back, everyone had, had gone away for the summer or moved back to their, uh, yeah. the place that they were going to write their thesis. And so I knew I was coming back to a different environment than, than what I what I started in. And I, I'm one of the, the people in, I guess, the, the minority that chose to stay in Iceland to, to write their thesis. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, so I, I knew I was going to be here for another year, but I knew that like all the friends that I had made during this year wouldn't be uh, in Isafjörder when I got back after my bike tour. So there was, so are you going to still stay in Isafjordur or you're thinking to move somewhere else still in Iceland? Um, no, I, th I think uh, I'll be in Isafjordur um, as long okay. as I can be, as long as the okay. uh, country is willing to have me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's a very good point for whoever doesn't know. 
coming from United States, it's not that easy to get uh, to stay in Iceland. You've done it through your studies, but after your studies are done, I'm pretty sure you're gonna need to rethink your visa situation, right? Yeah, so yeah, it's, I've basically gotten a visa for uh, two years with my studies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And after that, I think you can actually like look for employment for six months. Yeah. Um, so you can stay basically two and a half years on a student visa. But then after mm -hmm. that, you really need to find a job or find a way to get another visa. And, and they, they need to sponsor you, right? Yeah, you have to get sponsored. You have to prove mm -hmm. that you have like specialized skills, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of the, the clause that I've been thinking about the most is how do I prove that I have specialized skills um yeah. so that's the one that's been been in my my head on how to uh hopefully apply for another visa with specialized skills mm -hmm. yeah um so I'm curious since we were just talking about how difficult it was for you during that um bike trip uh, through Iceland, how do you keep yourself focused and motivated when you have these kind of huge challenges in your way? Um, for me, I, I, I actually, the, one, the things that I, I do plan a little bit still, so I know kind of where I want to be for the day or how many miles I want to do, really where I, where I want to stay for the night is what motivates me. To, to keep going. Um, like I, I know where I plan to camp and uh, I'm pretty good at sticking to those schedules. I'm also a little bit stubborn. And so like when I was on the, <laughs> the, the mountain pass to Dinyandi, like it was just pure stubbornness that I, you know, wanted to, to keep going because uh, I knew I wanted to. <laughs> so there's, uh, there's some bathrooms at Dinyandi and they have heaters in them okay <laughs> and I, I was motivated to uh just get out of the wind and stay in one of those heated bathrooms uh for a little bit of time just to warm up um mm -hmm. and I actually I ended up sleeping in one of the bathrooms um which they're they're rather roomy and it's, it's quite nice it's like you know bigger than a tent um so I don't know if I, I would recommend sleeping in the bathrooms or I don't know if it's actually allowed, but um, I, I, I chose to sleep in one just because it was nice and warm and protected from the elements. And yeah, I was motivated by that to, to get over the mountain pass. Okay, that, that's amazing. And I just realized that I didn't actually ask you when or how did you start actually let me ask two questions. I keep asking you two questions. I don't know. Why. <laughs> um, when did you start? Like, when did you learn biking? And mm -hmm. when did you really start to have this love towards biking? Yeah, I, I started biking. So at university in the United States, when I moved um, off campus, mm -hmm. I moved like maybe five kilometers away from campus. And so I didn't really want to drive like I had a car but that's when I started when I got a bike and I, mm. I started biking you know the, the 20 minutes it was to, to class every day mm -hmm. and then from there like when I was at university I just had a bunch of friends who biked as well um, and we would just ride to places so I chose to ride my bike to go get ice cream or go get a beer yeah. instead of driving 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I've developed this kind of like mission uh, kind of based approach to biking. Like I really need a destination um, to go somewhere or to bike. And so I'm not, I don't bike just to go bike some arbitrary amount of kilometers. Um, I, I bike for, with a purpose. Um, and so it was really after that. So that was like 2010 when I first started getting into biking. And then it was really just kind of like, you know, going by bike um, to certain destinations, um, not very long or anything like that. But then it was uh, really around 2016 when a friend and I, um, I think we actually both went, we went through, uh, we both, it was really funny or rather, uh, just a total coincidence because I had, I messaged him. I was like, Hey, uh, my partner and I broke up last night and we had been dating for three years or so. And so it was like a pretty big breakup. And then he messaged me back. He's like, no way. My partner and I broke up last night too. So through that, um, it was just a total coincidence that our long-term relationships had kind of ended on the same day. And so we really just kind of latched on to each other and started um, pushing our boundaries and just like doing things that we've, we wanted to do. Um, but because of life and other things getting in the way, we didn't have a lot of time to uh, bike the way we wanted to. And so we just started putting these, these trips together. And so we went just, we went, we went bike camping or bike packing. Uh, we just took all of our camping gear and rode our bikes and set up camp and then rode home the next day. And then we started to push our boundaries in terms of distance. And so we rode our first, um, they call it, there's like, it's called the century in cycling. So it's either like there's uh, a metric century, which is a hundred kilometers. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, um, I guess, customary century, which is a hundred miles or like 160 kilometers. Mm-hmm. And so we we rode a 100 mile race together. Um, and that was, uh, it was it was hard, um, but we had each other through, through the entire journey. We kept pushing each other and motivating um, each other to finish the race. And then we did. And I feel like from that, that pushed my, um, comfort level threshold, like significantly higher in terms of amount of time that I was willing to spend on a bike. And I think for me, that's what biking does is you really can spend all day on a bicycle and still feel, feel okay the next day. Like it's, it's physically demanding, but it's not as physically demanding as like running. Um, yeah, okay. and so you, you can spend, you know, anywhere between an hour and, you know, 10 hours a day on a bike and still, still be able to do it the next day. Um, of course with training and getting comfortable. On yeah. It. Not just going, just going We're out, not just going for 10 <laughs> hours, but building up to that, that 10 hour capacity, I guess. And so that's, yeah, that's when I started to, to kind of branch out into like these bigger bigger distances and bigger rides and things like that just pushing that comfort level threshold higher and higher until now I'm willing to bike like probably up to 200 kilometers a day um uh, day after day I like I'd be willing to do it 
you know, like but for a week straight I, if I if I had yeah. to. And I love the fact that you went like from the small circle and then keep increasing, increasing, increasing and trying, you were kind of testing your limits. I love that. That's actually, that's the better way or the most sustainable way, I would say, uh, mm. to do it other than just, you know, drop yourself into the middle of the, I don't know, like I'm going to start now the trip of my life and you haven't biked before at all, for example. Yeah. Um, which some people have done it and they succeed, but I think more sustainable would be to just, you know, increase a little by little, which I totally, I totally love. I'm curious to learn um, from you, what did traveling teach you? in your entire experience of traveling, not just one specific travel? Mm -hmm. I think traveling has taught me just to be flexible. Um, and so while, you know, back when I only had a few days of vacation, it's like, okay, like I'll, I'll tell you about my first trip to Iceland and how uh, rather um, it was very fast paced. And so I, I came to Iceland in 2017 and, uh, it was in February. I got like a great deal on a flight and it was like, okay, uh, the, we're going to rent a car and then we're going to go do the golden circle. We're going to see Reykjavik. We're going to go to the South coast and go see Vik. And, you know, doing that within like a three or four day window is, is, very fast paced. And I, I don't think that I think Iceland and travel should be, um, you should slow it down if you can, if you're able to, and really not rush yourself to see every single waterfall or, you know, checkpoint There's certain thing, certain things on the tourist map, like it shouldn't be forced to be that quick. And so I, I've done that. Like I've, I've also road tripped from like Milan to Rome over the course of a week. And it's like, there's so many sites to see and like only spending, you know, a night in Florence is um, like, I wish I had had more flexibility because I would have stayed in Florence for as long as I could. Um, but <laughs> it, and I'm just being planned to be, uh, you know, just a night. And so um, just, following what you feel, I think is what traveling has taught me to do, especially by bike. Like if you feel like, um, you know, biking more or seeing a different place or just taking some time off the bike too. Um, it's kind of what I, I've learned and my train, my travels have transitioned from these like fast paced ultra planned out mission to just slowing down. And now, um, I guess that's what biking across America taught me is really just to slow down and um, follow what you feel. And so I don't really plan as many things as I used to. And I, yeah, it just, and Iceland has also done that to me as well. Cause you, you really have to follow the weather and the weather kind of dictates what you're able to do. And so yeah. I think with, with those two kind of like um, things I've, transition my life to more kind of like follow what you feel approach um one of my i can call him my friend uh he's the only romanian who has done who has bike 
from on the entire continent of America, from all the way from Alaska to all the way down to Suaya in Argentina. And mm-hmm. he has done every single country on the continental Americas. Wow. And when he planned his trip, the plan was to t- finish in nine months to go straight through from Alaska all the way to southern Argentina. Mm-hmm. He ended up staying three years yeah. in this trip because he slowed down and he understood. He was telling me, I met him in Paraguay. We kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, met somehow like that. Um, and he was telling me that the difference between how he imagined the trip and how the trip ended up being, it was such a completely, like such a huge difference between those two worlds. And uh, he was saying that this is one of the things that biking taught him that you need to take your time. And he also had, like he stayed up to three months in a place because he felt like he wants to do that. So also to recharge and so on. Currently, he's traveling through through Australia. Now he has a partner. So together with his partner, they are traveling through Australia on the, is it called tricyclet? It's like the bike that you're kind of standing on the back somehow, mostly. Oh, it has wheels. Yeah, it, it could be called a tricycle or like I think it's also okay, called yeah. a, uh, a recumbent bike if you're kind of oh, like okay. in a more yeah. kind of relaxed position. Yeah, so he's doing that after, by luck, he was stuck in New Zealand during the last year, during the pandemic. So he has done half of New Zealand on foot and half of New Zealand uh, by bike. So now they Mm -hmm. are are in Australia and they're doing that. And he keeps talking about how important it is to slow down and take your time and talk with people, exactly what you were saying right. in the beginning yeah. of our conversation, which is so, so important to, mm-hmm. to speak with people and listen to their stories. Um, yeah. When do you feel the most lonely? In mm. general, not necessarily in a trip, in your life. Yeah. Um, honestly, it is a lot when I, when I travel. Um, so when I bike by myself and then um, when you're in a community or in a campground and there's other people connecting and having a good time together in a social environment and you're kind of on the outside of it or watching watching from the outside i definitely feel kind of lonely in those situations and i think with the pandemic that's something that has that was different for me. And so when I first envisioned my trip, it was like, oh yeah, like kind of go across America and meet all these cool people at campgrounds and hang out and things like that. But now there's so many new mental boundaries that are that are in my head about, you know, just going up to someone and like being in their personal space and trying to, um, you know, inject myself into their conversation um, is, is a, a, a mental barrier for me right now and like overcoming those COVID barriers. And, and I think that, yeah, like when, the, when those situations happen and you like want to go say hi or want to go try and interact with a, a group, but you can't because you're not sure of their like personal preferences of uh, space now. And I am in my own personal, you know, acceptance of, of space. Like I used to ride 
the bus and the subway in San Francisco every day and you're, you know, you're, your faces are right next to each other. And like, <laughs> I, I, I used to be willing to accept the lower or like, you know, like people being that close to me and be totally fine, like with people being strangers and being that close. But now it's like, you know, if you step within one meter of me, I'm, I'm like, why, why are you so close? You know? Yeah. Um, is it safe to assume then that you are an introvert? Uh, at the end of the day, I'm an introvert. Yeah. But I, mm-hmm. um, through different social settings, I've figured out how to be social when I, and I figured out how to be social in, in social situations that call for it or that um, where I want to be social. Because I can recognize that as I'm an introvert as well. And in the beginning of my South American trip, my main point was like, I'm going to be an extrovert. I'm going to be more outgoing. I'm going to introduce myself more. And then by the end of my trip, I realized that I don't want to change who I am. And I just got more comfortable and recognizing what I can do and what I can do. And I realized that I'm really bad at making the first step. But if Mm -hmm. the first step is being made, then it's very easy for me. As I also realized that I'm way better at communicating one-on-one than one to a group. So yeah. learning that about me and understanding what's comfortable, what's not comfortable, what's worth it and not, what's not worth it, which mm-hmm. was a complete different uh, conclusion after my trip. Because I told you coming into the trip, I was like, I'm going to do this and this and this and that. And then I was like, oh, no, I, I, I meant to accept who I am and yeah. go from there. Oh, OK, this makes more sense now, you know, other yeah. than forcing myself completely to change my personality right? Yeah, because I guess, yeah, you can only change so much about who you are, but a lot of uh, solo traveling or pushing myself outside of my comfort zone to travel by myself or to do more things by myself, or really, like, I would invite people to do things, but um, no one, or there's some things that people didn't want to do, and so I I just decided that I would do them by myself, Um, and yeah, learning so much, learning about yourself in those situations is, is just as valuable um, as, you know, being social and learning something else about, learning another thing about someone else. And so, yeah, like I've, I've grown a lot in being comfortable with who I am and how I, how I interact in social settings and how I don't interact in social settings um, if I don't exactly. need to, like taking my time to to be lonely. And I, 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 as an introvert, I do enjoy the loneliness and um, there's some times when I, I need it. And then there's other times when, you know, someone starts the conversation or I know that I need to, to socialize today. So I'll start the conversation or, or things like that. And um, I totally understand what you mean when, when someone else starts the conversation, it's so easy, but starting the conversation <laughs> is so hard. <laughs> And it's so, uh, not to to take anything from you, but most of the people from the United States that I've met, they are so, it's so easy for them to start a conversation and to, it doesn't matter you're in the middle of a sentence with someone else, they're going to be like, oh, you're talking about this. Okay, let me tell you. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah. The thing is that here in Iceland, I worked a few years in um, uh, hospitality. So I've known, like I've got to know a lot, to know a lot of Americans through my job, 
And I would always say like, I can recognize an American from the moment when he gets into a room by the way that they are acting. So it's so interesting to see finally someone who's switching the <laughs> narrative. You're like, no, it's yeah. not that easy. It's just, there are just some extroverts that happen to be from United States. Right. <laughs> but there are introverts and, in the United States as well. Yeah, I was biking in the, the East Yards this summer and mm -hmm. um, was being led by an Icelandic tour guide. And he was like, yeah, it seems like Americans, it's like they don't have an internal dialogue. They have to say it out loud. <laughs> but he, he was nice enough to say that my friend and I were, were different uh, and that we didn't uh, have to blurt out everything that we were feeling at the, at the time that it happened. <laughs> Did anyone ever tell you that you're so nice that you almost seem like you're Canadian? Did everyone, Me, no. <laughs> no. Did everyone do that joke? Because I know sometimes people do that. Like if they see someone, they're like, you're too nice. You're from Canada, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, Canadians are too nice. That's actually a fact, but no, I'm not Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Tyler, I'm kind of reaching to the, to the last question. And I always love to end my uh, conversation with my guests on this question. So Tyler... What makes you happy? Great question. I feel like it's the, uh, I've asked myself this question for, for so many years and um, that's kind of how I've, I've ended up on this path and that I'm on now. And so I was asking myself this question when I was working, like, am I, am I happy with, with what I'm doing? And it was, um, I wasn't willing to take those next steps in my engineering career or down that that path in life because I knew it wouldn't mean happiness for me. And so um, I'm not motivated by money. Like, of course, money is necessary for, you know, for life the way it is now in this capitalist society. Um, but, but for me, it's really, um, you know, having others around me that are happy as well. And, um, living the life that I, that I want to live um, makes me extremely happy. And so I, I know that I don't need a lot in life. And I don't need a large sums of money to, to live life the way that I want to because um, I'm, I'm willing to, to live life in a tent or um, for un, on certain occasions. Not, not, I don't live in a tent full time by any means anymore. <laughs> uh, but just, just understanding that uh, at the root of it all, I don't need a lot to be happy. And um, it's the, the pure water that surrounds me, the pure air and the, the landscape that, I, that I'm able to live in now. Um, without a lot of what I what I like about Isafyodor, especially is that my my willingness to consume is is minimized. So like it is a remote region and it is harder to get things here. And you can't just go to the store and get your brand new iMac if you if you want it. Um, and so I, I feel like the environment here keeps me in check in a lot of ways. Um, and so like when I used to live in the States, I would just, my consumerism was just uncontrollable. And yeah. like, just cause it was the norm of, you know, Amazoning something and having it delivered in like two days. And it's like, do you really, do you really need that? Um, and so by, 
by limiting the one, the amount of money that I actually bring in, um, you know, having a career, I used to make some money or more money than I did now, but um, having less money and having less societal pressure to consume um, keeps me at a level that makes me happy. It's an amazing, amazing answer. Thank you. Uh, and I mean, as you said earlier in the conversation, you were saying that that's all you need to be able to fill up your water bottle. Yeah. <laughs> From a fresh <laughs> spring. And then, it's an incredible yeah. feeling. Oh my gosh, yes, it's so it freeing. It's so cool. Yeah, I, was, I, I grew up with that actually in a way um, where my grandparents were living, we would go and have water bottles filled or like, actually you know a bit of a tank um from a spring or from an actual fountain the one that you have to have muscles i was too young oh, so yeah, i yeah. couldn't do it my brother like i tried to and then it went i was so young that the thing went back and it with me it, <laughs> you know? so my brother yeah. had to do it oh, but yeah. We, yeah so it's it's amazing and i i'm happy to know how people can appreciate and how can they differentiate, uh, you know, as you were saying, from the consumerists to having a slow and more simple life. And that's what makes you click. And that's so important to recognize. And yeah. then to have the courage to make the step to live into that life. I'm really, really, is it weird to say that I'm proud of you, even though we never met? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> but I, I appreciate am. that. That means a lot. <laughs> but <you>. I am. <laughs> I truly am. And I mean, I was yeah. proud of you since I saw the West Fjords. Oh, <laughs> <thank> <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Tyler, tell me if anyone wants to find you, where can they find you online? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's at underscore Tyler Vision. So it's, it's kind of like television, but Tyler Vision. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm on Strava. Uh, if you want to follow like the runs and bike rides that I do, um, but yeah, mainly through Instagram, you can find everything you need to know about me. Um, I have like a website and a, uh, photography print store as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I try and sell photos on the side a little bit. Um, but yeah. Perfect. I will put your details in the podcast notes for everyone who wants to check that out. And yes, that's kind of it. I'm so, so appreciative of you giving me so much time. <laughs> and yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for taking the, the first step because um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier when someone does that for, as you know, for, for us introverts. <laughs> I did take this first step, but it also took me three months to do it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, that is courage right there. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. <laughs> yes, thank you, Alina. This concludes today's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can do so by email.